say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's a soul anchor. Hold on to the hope it is a Hello, this is the Soul Anchor Podcast, and I am your host, Vidal Moreno. In the Soul Anchor Podcast, we seek to anchor our faith in the truths of the Bible while we sail across the sea seeking adventures where they can be found. In last week's episode, we studied 1 Samuel chapter 9. In this chapter, we are introduced to the young man, Saul, who God has chosen to be the first king of Israel. Right from the beginning, we begin to see character defects that will eventually rear its ugly head in the chapters to come. Here we go with 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a small container of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head. Samuel kissed him and said, The Lord has chosen you to lead his people Israel. You will rule over the Lord's people, and you will deliver them from the power of the enemies who surround them. This will be your sign that the Lord has chosen you as leader over his inheritance. This was a common way of setting apart someone or something for special service. Samuel was communicating once again to Saul that he had been chosen to lead Israel. Now, Samuel has tried various ways of getting through to Saul that he was the chosen one by God to be king. Verse 2, When you leave me today, you will find two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on Benjamin's border. They will say to you, The donkeys you have gone looking for have been found. Your father is no longer concerned about the donkeys, but has become anxious about you two. He is asking, What should I do about my son? In order to verify what Samuel is saying is true, keeping in mind that Samuel is still a complete stranger to Saul, Samuel tells Saul exactly to the minute details, what will happen next. This verse confirms what Samuel has told Saul in chapter 9, that the donkeys have been found. Verse 3, As you continue on from there, you will come to the tall tree of Tabor. At that point, three men who are going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One of them will be carrying three young goats, One of them will be carrying three round loaves of bread, and one of them will be carrying a container of wine. Apparently, the tabernacle was at Bethel at this time. Saul was going to meet three men going up to sacrifice to the Lord. The exacting detail is remarkable. Samuel, through the Spirit, is demonstrating his power to predict the future, And if he can predict the future with this accuracy, then surely what he has told Saul about his future must also be correct. Verse 4. They will ask you how you're doing and will give you two loaves of bread. You will accept them. This 
timid man who looked the part but did not act the part of the king would be given three signs to affirm him that he was to be king. The Lord was working on his insides here. The Lord takes the most unlikely people and use them to get done what he wants to get done. The two loaves are important because they would have been a gift for the priest, the anointed one. In essence, they were giving him the bread as an anointed one, or as a Messiah. Verse 5, Afterward, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there are Philistine officials. When you enter the town, you will meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place. They will have harps, tambourines, flutes, and lyres, and they will be prophesying. This was likely the town of Geba, where there was known to be a school of prophets, probably set up by Samuel. The office of prophet was initiated as a counterbalance to the king by Samuel. He was both judge, priest, and prophet. The second sign will be that he will meet the seminary students coming back from worshiping the Lord. There are other passages that seem to associate the use of musical instruments with prophesying. 2 Kings 3.15, for example, says, But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. In 1 Chronicles 25.1, we read, David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jeduthun, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. Verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. The third sign is that the Lord's Spirit rushed upon him, and he prophesied, and he became as if he was another man. He was given the tools he needed to do the job. He became brave and noble. Unfortunately, even though he was given these gifts, his personality continued to be what it was, and he misused these gifts. Some believe that the Spirit coming upon him meant that he was saved. But that is not consistent with what happens next. This is his high point spiritually. The Lord's Spirit was not a personal resident in humans before the New Covenant or the New Testament. The Lord's Spirit would come and go, not to mention the fact that he will be molested by a demon in the future, which would also indicate that he was not spirit-filled for the rest of his life. Verse 7, when these signs have taken place, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God will be with you. He needed to trust the Lord and trust the process, since everything that happens will happen. It should give him confidence that whatever comes next will be God's will as well. This is the process of getting a very shallow man to deepen and trust the Lord more. Verse 8, you will go down to Gilgal before me. I am going to join you there to offer burnt offerings and to make peace offerings. You should wait for seven days until I arrive, and I will tell you what to do next.
According to Josephus, it was the tradition of Samuel to go to Gilgal before dealing with a national emergency. Whether it was an invasion or, in this case, the coronation of a king, Samuel was giving Saul very specific instructions that he was to follow to the letter. Verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed his inmost person. All these signs happened on that very day. This should have been a big day for him. The Lord began the process of building the character that he would need to lead the Lord's people. If only he had not let his pride get in the way, the Lord could have used him to prepare the way for David. Verse 10. When Saul and his servant arrived in Gibeah, a company of prophets were coming out to meet him. Then the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul, and he prophesied among them. So when he arrived at his hometown in Gibeah, which can also mean a hill in Hebrew, he was met by the first of the three signs, a band of prophets. The third member of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, rushed into him in power, and he began to prophesy. He began to disclose things about the Lord. The Lord gave him the power to do so. A shallow man who lacked common sense was acting like a changed man. Verse 11. When everyone who had known him previously saw him prophesying with the prophets, the people asked one another, What on earth has happened to the son of Kish? Does even Saul belong with the prophets? We get the impression that Saul must have been a serious jerkwad. His fellow townsmen were wondering who he was. The thought of him being spiritual totally freaked them out. This was such a complete turnaround that the saying, Does even Saul belong with the prophets? became a part of their language's idioms for something that was truly mind-boggling. Verse 13, when Saul had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. After being filled by the Lord's Spirit, he went on to the high place to worship the Lord. This is his spiritual high point, unfortunately. He could have governed in the Lord's will, but he gave in to his own desires and vices. Verses 14 and 15. Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where did you go? Saul replied, To look for the donkeys. But when we realized that they were lost, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me what Samuel said to you. They had seen a startling change in Saul and wanted to know what happened. There is a lot of subtext here that we're missing because the Lord chose not to give it to us. But we can infer that Saul had not been well-liked or respected by the way that they marveled at his spiritual change. Verse 16, Saul said to his uncle, He assured us that the donkeys had been found. But Saul did not tell him what Samuel had said about the matter of kingship. Why he did not tell his uncle the whole story creates a subtext. Was he being falsely modest? I think he was demonstrating a lack of trust in the Lord and in Samuel. He was afraid of what his uncle would say, afraid his uncle would 
think that he was crazy. Perhaps this stemmed from his misplaced youth. He had never demonstrated any inclination toward leadership, and for him to tell that to his uncle would have been unbelievable. Verse 17, Then Samuel called the people together before the Lord at Mitzpah. Mitzpah was one of the places where the leaders of Israel would assemble from time to time. It was also a place that demonstrated their failures for the last two times they had met in Mitzpah was over national repentance, over their disobedience during the time of Joshua, and over the whole Benjamin debacle. The place would not have been lost to the people who kept their history in their mind. Samuel's speech would further remind them that their request for a king was a national failure on their part. Verse 18, he said to the Israelites, this, this is what the Lord God of Israel has said. I brought Israel up from Egypt and I delivered you from the power of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that oppressed you. The Lord was telling them the truth. It was the Lord under his power and his leadership that they had been delivered from slavery and from the hand of all who oppressed them. They had rejected the only one truly capable of giving them what they wanted. They had been called to be a different kind of people, and yet they had demanded that the Lord make them like everyone else. Verse 19, But today, Today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your trouble and distress. You have said, no, appoint a king over us. Now take your positions before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So often we forget everything the Lord has done for us. Every time the Lord has gotten us out of a mess, every time we avoided getting in a mess, we have so much to be grateful for, and yet we take the Lord for granted. The Lord is our King. Our loyalty should lie only in the Lord, and yet we yearn for the things of this world, and we yearn for the security that money brings us. We want the things of this world to rule over us, even though they have demonstrated time and time again that they are completely useless and will betray us. These people were just like us, unfaithful and ungrateful and unloving. Verses 20 and 21. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the family of Matri was chosen by Lot. At last, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen by Lot. And when they looked for him, he was nowhere to be found. It is not known what game of chance they would have used to discern the Lord's will, but it was done several times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It was not by chance if they were dependent on the Lord to guide the devices in order to make the Lord's will be done. If he had spoken to Samuel directly and not revealed his will outwardly, 
these people would have been suspicious that the fix was on and not accepted Saul. But this way, they felt that they were witnessing his will being done through this game of chance, and they had less apprehension to go along with the results. So they inquired again of the Lord, Has the man arrived here yet? The Lord said, He has hidden himself among the baggage. Was he timid? Overly humble? He had already heard from the Lord through Samuel. He had been chosen by the Lord. If he was a true servant, he would not have allowed his fear to overcome his sense of duty and obedience to the Lord. Once again, he is indicating flaws in character. He was afraid and will spend his lifetime being afraid. He has to be thrust into action in order for him to act with courage. Verse 23, So they ran and brought him from there. When he took his position among the people, he stood head and shoulders above them all. The people wanted a king like the countries around them. Through Jacob, the Lord had prophesied that the king would come through Judah. Because of Judah's sin through Tamar, all his descendants had been disqualified until David. The Lord had planned for David to be their first king, but because of their demand, the Lord gave them what they wanted, a timid, fearful, faithless man. He was a head taller than anyone else. People are naturally attracted to taller men. Is it because at one time the Nephilim were more prevalent? They looked at these demigods for leadership. The Amorite tribes around them had giant kings. Their desire for a tall king would have come from their desire to be like the nations around them. They did not desire their leadership or their responsibilities to be the salt and light to the world. They wanted to be worldly. Verse 24. Then Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the one whom the Lord has chosen? Indeed, there is no one like him among all the people. And all the people shouted out, Long live the king! All true statements. The Lord chose him to teach them that what they wanted was not necessarily what they needed. They needed to learn this harsh lesson, and it was going to cost them a lot of men and material. Verse 25, Then Samuel talked to the people about how the kingship would work. He wrote it all down on a scroll and set it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away to their homes. Undoubtedly, the scroll included the Mosaic regulations for kingship found in Deuteronomy 17, 14-17. Basically, he went over the same regulations that he had already told them, but this time he recorded them in a scroll and gave them to Saul to live by. We are kings and queens ourselves, and we have been given these words to live by. They are the Lord's holy book. Thank the Lord for them. Verse 26. Even Saul went to his home in Gibeah. With him 
when some brave men whose hearts God had touched. He did not deserve it, and yet the Lord was gracious to him. The Lord moved in the hearts of valiant warriors that desired to serve the Lord by serving the man that the Lord had chosen. They had no idea what monster Saul would turn into. They just knew that the Lord had chosen this man, and out of reverence to him, they had decided to serve this man. We should feel the same about our bosses. The Lord gives us these jobs, and the jobs come with a boss. Out of reverence for the Lord, we should do our best to please our bosses. Verse 27, But some wicked men said, How can this man save us? They despised him and did not even bring him a gift. But Saul said nothing about it. In contrast, other men rejected the Lord's choice. They, in essence, rejected the Lord. They were the sons of Belial, which is used as a disparaging epithet for all wicked people. It was customary to present new kings with gifts. We do something similar with weddings or graduation parties. It was a way of sending them off on a good footing. They were rejecting him by withholding their gifts. These would have been leaders and people of influence. Saul had a right to exact revenge, but in this case, his timidity helped him out. This was the right decision. It was a diplomatic decision. Time and his success would do more than violence. Next week, 1 Samuel chapter 11. If you're enjoying the Soul Anchor podcast and would like to automatically receive the podcast every time I upload an episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Soul Anchor podcast is also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The Soul Anchor podcast Facebook page has the complete transcript of this episode. Like the page so that you can receive notifications when I post information about these episodes. I invite all my listeners to message me on Facebook or email me at vidmore at yahoo.com. I would love to hear from you. I get very little feedback, and I would love to get some feedback, positive or negative. Getting back to the podcast, if you're enjoying the podcast, tell others about it and leave a five-star review because that will allow the podcast to get more recognition in the community. Till we meet again. It's a soul. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.